uh, just a, a brief time where we're highlighting some of our, our values as a, as a church. Remember, we've looked so far at generous hospitality and dependent prayer. This morning, we want to look at the foundation of grace as a core value of us as a, as a church. Um, uh, this summer, we undertook a, a big project in our yard. Again, another DIY project. Uh, to to put some sod in the, the front and the backyard. Our yard was getting overrun with sand spurs. So the kids couldn't play out in the backyard without coming with holes punctured in their feet. Weeds were growing up everywhere. Stuff was dying. It was, it, it was a mess. And uh, so I was reading online on how to uh, uh, make sure this happens and does well, that the grass will, will thrive and grow and last longer than a couple of weeks or uh, a year or whatever. And so uh, what, what I was reading is the, the first place you need to start, they say, is you need to get a soil sample and then get your soil tested. You need to know what uh, kind of nutrients your soil is lacking, what it needs. You need to make sure that the, the pH is right so that the grass will thrive and the weeds won't. And then uh, after you get that, you need to make sure that all of the, the, the weeds and everything that's there now is, is killed and, and dead. And so you've got to spray Roundup or kill it however, uh, however you see fit. And then you've got to get rid of all that old stuff. You've got to come in and you've got to till it up. You've got to rake it and smooth it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, applying all of the, the, the fertilizer or whatever that, that it, it required. This is the, the reason... Um, is because uh, the, the foundation that you lay, the, the soil and its, its health, what you're building off of, is going to be important for that grass to thrive for the, the long term. If you, just, uh, if you don't pay good attention to that, that foundation layer, what you're, what you're building off of, what the, the grass is, is growing from, it may at the beginning look like it's, it's, it's growing and it may appear to be healthy, but in the long run, uh, by, by resting on another foundation, it's going to end up wilting. The roots won't grow deep and strong uh, and it will, uh, it will struggle. Um, as, as a church, the, there's similar things. Remember, we're a church plant. Uh, we are being established from the, from the get-go. Uh, we were not in existence two years ago. Uh, and so as we think about as a church, how do we prepare our foundation well, our soil well that we're being planted in and grounded in so that this will be something that it is lasting for the long term? Um, we uh, want to emphasize that the foundation that we're uh, building on and coming from that, that undergirds and flows in uh, and motivates everything that we do as a church is the foundation of grace. Um, and so to, to look at, at that, we want to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a, with a young man in, in the, the book of Mark. In this discussion, they're talking about how one enters into Jesus' kingdom. How do you start life with Jesus? seems like that would be a good place if we're wanting to understand the foundation of our life as the people of God, our foundation as a, as a church, that looking at this interaction that Jesus has with this young man and the conversation that follows with Jesus' disciples will help give us insight into seeing why grace, the grace of God that is extended to us in Jesus, 
is uh, the important foundation that we as a church want to value and grow from. So if you would, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 10. Um, If you're following along in one of the the black Bibles that's there uh, in your chair, uh, you'll find this on page 846. Remember, uh, we've looked at several places in Mark uh, so far. Remember, Mark's a follower of Jesus, and he is seeking to give us uh, an account from eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and his teaching to, uh, to compel people to trust and hope in him as the one true God who's entered into our world to, to redeem and rescue us. Um, he's trying to, to set straight mis, uh, misunderstandings and wrong expectations that people had uh, so that people will know who Jesus is and how one is made right with the Father. Uh, and so we're going to look at this account as some of Jesus' teaching has, has brought up questions in people's minds and in their hearts. And we encounter a young man who comes to Jesus. Um, and so we'll, we'll pick up in verse 17 and follow along with me as we read through verse 31. Uh, and as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, In it, we pray that we would see Jesus. We would see your grace extended to us in him. And that Holy Spirit, we would cling and rest upon our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, The first question we want to consider as we 
look at this passage uh, and really the, the Christian life uh, completely is, is this. Do you have what it takes to get into the kingdom? Do I have what it takes to get into the kingdom? Uh, look at, at this, this man who comes up to Jesus. That's his question, right? What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus later talks about the kingdom related to that. Eternal life is to live with God in His kingdom. Remember we looked at this uh, several weeks ago. God's people and God's place under God's rule and God's presence. Uh, look, look at this guy as he, as he comes up to Jesus. He, he clearly has a desire. A desire to enter into the kingdom. Otherwise, he wouldn't be asking this question. He runs up to Jesus. He falls down. I mean, this is pretty... This wasn't really socially appropriate for uh, a rich guy to do to run up, especially, and then fall down in front of Jesus. Yet he does it. He desperately wants to know the answer of this question. He, he's asking it because he desires to enter into the kingdom. And so he, he comes with this desire. He also comes uh, believing certain things about Jesus. You notice how in the beginning he, he comes to Jesus and, and he, he states this, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Several things communicate what this guy believes about Jesus. Uh, one, what's coming from his mouth, that he, he refers to him as good teacher. He recognizes that the things that Jesus has been saying and doing uh, set him apart from the other teachers and he believes Jesus to be a very, very good teacher. Uh, and so he, he affirms that. But notice that when he has this question about eternal life, how one's made right with God, Jesus is the one that he comes to and asks the question. He sees that Jesus has authority and he has insight. And so he, he believes certain truths about Jesus and who he is and his, his identity. This man comes to Jesus also, we see that something's true of this guy is that he, he's living a very moral life. Remember what Jesus says to him. Uh, he asks him this question about why this guy calls him good, reminding him that really only God is good, inviting this guy to consider what he's just said with his mouth and who Jesus really is. Remember, that's something Mark's been pointing us to, uh, if, that Jesus is actually God. But uh, he, he goes on to this. He says, you know, the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the guy says, teacher, I, I've kept these for my for my youth. Now, this guy's not making that up. We're not saying that he perfectly kept the law. But remember, we've seen other places. Remember, Noah was described as blameless. Abraham was called by God. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Paul later, as he would reflect on his own life, would say that, that he walked according to, to God's law. This, this guy is really living a moral life. Uh, some, some people who, who uh, gathered riches around themselves during this time may have done so, uh, violating all of these uh, commands through murdering or taking others' lives, through, uh, um, through uh, adultery and trying to uh, gain the, and the inheritance from other uh, relationships, stealing people, lying against other people, defrauding people, uh, maybe not honoring their father and their mother so that they can keep more stuff to themselves. But this guy isn't just a rich guy. He's a moral rich guy. So 
Does he have what it takes? Is his desire enough? Is his right and believing true things about Jesus enough? Is his moral life enough? Notice what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Jesus is saying, it's not enough. You do not have enough. Your desire is not enough for you to enter into my kingdom. Your, your right thinking and, and believing certain truths about me is not enough for you to get into my kingdom. Your moral life is not enough for you to get into my kingdom. Uh, this would have been shocking to the people around. We'll, we'll see this later as the disciples respond. Do you remember what they, they said later? Then who can get into the kingdom? Because the understanding at that time was that someone who was rich had favor with God. The reason that they were rich is because God was looking upon their life and rewarding them for their morality, blessing them because of their righteousness or their, their goodness before Him. God was pleased with them. And Jesus is saying, look, your riches, everything about you is not enough. You do not have what it takes to enter in to the kingdom of God. Uh, last, uh, several weeks ago now, remember the potato fest? Everything was all downtown. Maybe many of you went to it. So we took the kids down there and we stood in line. At, we saw all the rides. The kids had been clamoring Adelaide and Beckett to, to ride these things forever since we saw them going up. And so we got in line at the, the booth where the guy was selling the bracelets. Remember, there's, if you've been to the Potato Fest, there's two ways to get on the rides. You can buy the individual tickets or you can get the bracelet that lets you ride as much as you want. So we wanted to be able to ride as much as we wanted. And the kids wanted to be able to ride as much as they wanted. So we got the bracelets. We had what we thought was enough to, to meet the requirements for us to get onto the rides. We start riding some of them, the little spinning dogs. And uh, we rode the, the motorcycles that scoot around. And some were little helicopters, helicopter that went up in the air and spun. But we were kind of sadly surprised that the kids were, that although we had the, the bracelet, we thought we had what, it re, what the requirement was to get onto all of these rides. We're standing in line for the, for the Ferris wheel. And the Ferris wheel required tickets. We had them. We had the bracelet. Unlimited tickets. We had a riches of tickets. Well, we get up there and there's another requirement. You must be this high this tall, to ride the Ferris wheel? Do we have what was required to ride the ride? Adelaide stands up to the line. She doesn't make it. Beckett stands up to the line. He doesn't make it. It's, Im it's impossible for them to ride this ride. I mean, Lindsay and I, I guess, could have grabbed a couple of arms and legs and, and pulled that's not going to really stretch them enough to ride. I mean, they could have stood on a stool, but the guy, I mean, he's pretty smart. He would have seen that. But it was impossible for them to ride. But there was, there was one, one other thing. There, it was impossible for Adelaide and Beckett to ride, but there was one way 
for them to get onto the Ferris wheel. Set at the bottom, unless you're with an adult, a parent, you can ride. You see, based on their relationship to me and my height, they could have access to the Ferris wheel and ride. Even though it was impossible for them in and of themselves, even though they had what they thought was the, meet the requirements for them to get on the ride, there was one way for them to get on the ride. It was through my accomplishments, my height. I mean, look at how much I've accomplished. Uh, they could have access to the ride. Not what they've done, but what I representing them, secure for them. And we got on it. I was nervous. It was a little rickety. Storm was blowing in. It was, they had a fun time. But the reason they, they got to enjoy this crazy, insane ride because of my earning it for them as their representative. Notice what Jesus says. You, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. We see the man's unable to do it. And the, but the, the response here from uh, Jesus as he, as he looks at, at this guy, he, he says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, he says it's going to be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This isn't just... Uh, sometimes people talk about this eye, the, the, the camel, or the eye of the needle and the camel, and it's this little pathway in the wall of Jerusalem and you know it was really difficult for the camel to get through and you'd have to take all of his stuff off and get him all down on four knees and on all four legs and you have to scoot him through it was very difficult but it was possible that's not what Jesus is talking about that's that's not what he's talking about a real needle and a real camel they don't care what you take off of the camel you're not fitting it through the eye of the needle it's impossible Jesus is saying. He says, with man, it is impossible. You aren't tall enough. I don't care what requirements you think you have. Your morality, your riches, your desire, your right thinking. It is impossible for men to enter the kingdom of God. But. But. All things are possible with God. There is a way to enter the kingdom of God, not based on who we are or what we've done, because remember, it's clear, we have all fallen short. It is impossible for men to enter the kingdom of God. There's another way. Notice how it starts here in verse, or verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey... Whose journey? Jesus' journey. Not their journey, Jesus and the disciples. His journey. Where's Jesus going? Jesus is going to the cross. Why does He need to go to the cross? Because He, as God, is going to do what is impossible for men to do. God in His love has sent Jesus to do the impossible. To make the way for Sinners like me and you to enter into the kingdom of God. It's based on God's free love 
His grace and His mercy extended to us in Jesus. It is impossible for us to enter the kingdom of God, but through what Jesus has done, and for uh, by us looking to Him in faith, the impossible can become possible. Do we have what it takes? No. But based on the grace of God and what Jesus has done, one can enter in to the kingdom of God. Uh, we do not have what it takes, but Jesus does. And He freely offers it to us by His grace through faith. The way we enter into the kingdom of God is through grace. Grace shapes our perspective of life with God. The foundation by which we enter into His kingdom is by grace. As a people, we want to embrace that. But it goes further. Do you have what it takes to get into the kingdom? No, you don't. I don't. Only Jesus does as we're hoping in Him. But what, what about this question? The other side of it, do you have what it takes to keep you out? <laughs> do you have what it takes to keep you out? Uh, remember that uh, the popular thinking, the worldview that was apparent there at the time, was that if you had riches, you had God's favor. Uh, God was blessing you because He delighted in you, and your riches proved evidence of that. Uh, surely he had what it took to get in. Jesus, we just saw, corrected that. No, uh, no, you, you don't. Um, and, and in fact, as we, we see here, uh, what you have or don't have is not any sort of indication of God's favor for, of you. This rich man, that wasn't evidence of his favor. Oh, Jesus said, oh, because you're rich? Oh, yeah, God must favor you. Come on in. But notice later, as he's talking to his, his disciples in, in verse 30, Jesus is saying that something that is true of those who follow him and hope in, in him is that they will experience persecutions in this life. So that as well is not a reflective of whether God favors you or not. Neither your riches nor your lack and your suffering indicate whether God favors you or uh, or not. Um, but what it does show us is that what we do have could be keeping us from God. Notice that it is what, the, what people thought was a blessing, this guy's riches, in fact, ended up being the thing that kept him from God. Uh, Jesus says, remember the guy, Jesus says in verse 21, you lack one thing, go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In verse 23, Jesus says, how difficult it will be for those, with, with, uh, those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. What we have can keep us from God. Um, I don't know if many of you have seen uh, The Sound of Music. Um, there's the Julie Andrews uh, musical version. Um, a couple of uh, years ago, there was a Carrie Underwood one on TV. Did anybody see that one? Uh, it was kind of a live live version. It was more related to uh, the the musical and play that, that the, the movie came from. 
Uh, and uh, some interesting stuff comes out that's not exactly clear in the, uh, in the movie, but in the, uh, the, the musical, um, as uh, Georg von Trapp is uh, evaluating what's going on in, uh, in Austria with the, the, the Nazis coming in, he's uh, determined that uh, he's uh, not going to submit to their rule. He's not going to be a part of their kingdom and give allegiance to them. He and his family are going to leave. Uh, well, in the in the midst of that, remember he's uh, this is prior to him and uh, Maria uh, coming together. He's dating that girl Baroness Schrader. Uh, so you have Schrader, Miss Miss Schrader, and you have Max, their friend, and both of them cannot understand why he would leave Austria. You're rich, Georg. If you stay here now at the foundations of this kingdom being established, we can get connections within the Nazi party and those coming to power. And it doesn't really matter whether we want to follow them or not. Max said, I don't really respect them, but it's a way for me to get wealth and to have things. And so I'm going to stay here. I'm not leaving. You're going to have to give up everything to leave. But what Von Trapp decides to do is that he says, it's not worth staying here in this kingdom. All of those riches, everything, it's worth getting, putting aside in order to find freedom in another place. If I cling to and hold on to my riches, it means I stay in this kingdom. But I see something that's more valuable than these riches. In, a, in an interview later, uh, it was kind of weird. It was Julie Andrews uh, interviewing the real Maria. Um, you know, it's like this... I'm used to Maria being Julie Andrews, but there was a real Maria. Uh, and she said, we weren't just upper middle class. We were rich. We had a lot of stuff. And we gave it all up to leave. That's why they had to start singing, because they had nothing. And their singing is the way that they ate. There's times in our lives and things in this world that may be good things. They may appear to be blessings. People may say that they're good. We may, we may think that they're good. But there can be things in our lives that we have and that we're clinging to that can keep us from God and from His kingdom. Jesus says to this guy, to this rich young ruler, you've got to let it go. Let go of your riches and come and turn and follow me. The hope that you're placing in these riches, the significance that you think that they will bring you, the freedom, the value you are placing in them is putting you in such a position that you're seeing those as being more valuable and precious than me and life with me. And out of my grace and my love, I'm telling you to let them go. Let them go and come to me. How do we know that? That it's, it's coming out of Jesus' love and out of grace. One way we could read it is remember how Jesus was born. Jesus was born in a barn. He had nothing. He's a guy who's grown up in poverty. Even as he's traveling around now, one of the things that it, it tells about Jesus, he doesn't even really have a place to lay his head. And here comes this guy with everything. And maybe this is an opportunity for Jesus to stick it to the man and say, oh, you want to be in my kingdom, rich boy? Give all your stuff up and be like me. 
and then you can come in. But no, that's not what it, that's not what it says. You notice what it said in verse 21? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. It's out of Jesus' love for this guy that he communicates to him, let go of your stuff and come to me. The call to let go, the call to turn from other gods or other things or from sin to Jesus is a call that flows out of Jesus' love and His free grace and His mercy. This, this call is a gracious call. Remember, we looked at this earlier this morning when we affirmed our faith together. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Remember, as we're talking about turning to Jesus in faith, Repentance and faith, they're two sides of the same coin. As you go through the New Testament, sometimes what it talks about, about uh, coming to, to Jesus is repent and come to Jesus. Other times it says believe or have faith and come to Jesus. Other times it says both of them together. Repent and believe. The reason why is because they're, they're two sides of the same coin. They're seen as almost being the same thing. Why? Because turning to Jesus means turning away from other stuff. Can anybody go in two directions at the same time? Can you go out this exit and that exit at the same time? No. You cannot go two ways at the same time. To turn one way means you're turning away from the other. And Jesus is saying, turn to me. Come to me. You who have your hopes in this stuff and my love for you, I'm telling you, turn to it and come to me. The call of repentance is a gracious call. We have all sorts of stuff that are keeping us from God. Some of it may, may look like blessings, like riches or things or family that are, that are keeping us from God. Our, our success, our job status, our righteousness. And Jesus is saying, let go of hoping and clinging to those things. And in my grace and my mercy, I'm asking you and inviting you and saying, let go, let go and cling to me, look to me. But sometimes the thing that may be keeping us from Jesus, and they're really they're two sides of the same coin as well, is, is our sin. Uh, when, uh, when I was in Clemson, uh, we had a, a friend there that we shared the gospel with a lot. Uh, and he was not uh, a believer. Uh, and at first, he didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus or his people. But he, uh, we spent a lot of time loving this guy. Really, he, wasn't, he didn't have many friends. He was very hard to, to, to be a friend to. Um, but the more that we hung out with him and talked with him about Jesus, he, he started some walls started coming down and, and he said he said this he said I really I want to I want to be a, a Christian there's something about you guys and your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with one another I want that but you know what he said right now I I don't want to give up pornography 
and I don't want to give up drinking and getting drunk and the party and stuff that I'm, done, I'm doing. And I know that, that to turn to Jesus means that I must turn away from those things. And I don't, I don't want to do that right now. You see, for this guy, the things of this world, his pursuits of sin were more precious and he saw them as more valuable and more satisfying than Jesus. And his articulation of what was coming out of his heart is, uh, if I must leave this stuff to cling to Jesus, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. And he went away disheartened because he as well had many possessions. See, when Jesus breaks into our lives and He breaks into our world and He's calling us to come to Him, this call to repentance or even the the call of the Gospel or even now you who are are following Jesus and Jesus is, is opening up things in your life and exposing things where you even now, even if you're trusting and hoping in Him, are, are find yourself straying back and are being enticed by the lies of, of, uh, of your former life, the enticement of, of another kingdom. Jesus now, His call to you to, to live righteously, to turn from sin and to hope in Him is still God's grace. The call to repentance, the pursuit of Jesus' disciplining work in your life, that you would turn and look to Him. The foundation of that is God's grace. Jesus isn't exposing your sin to rub your face in it. Jesus isn't exposing your sin and calling you to leave it because He's wanting to keep something from you. What does this passage tell us? He looked at Him and He loved Him. And in response of His love, He calls Him to let it go and turn to Me. Do you trust Me? Do you trust that what I'm calling to you is good? You see, the foundation of grace and understanding how much grace permeates the Christian life should make us begin to realize that when we are called to a life of godliness, when we are called to a life of repentance, when we are pursued by God's loving discipline, it is a response and a flowing out of His love and His grace to us. Our righteousness matters. Well, if it does, then this is our last question we want to consider. Does Jesus know what I've done for the kingdom? Does he know what I've done for the kingdom? Look at how Peter responds. Peter, the spokesman for the disciples so many times, right for right or for wrong. Jesus says, hey, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is in response to their response. Then who can be saved? And then Peter says this, see, we've left everything to follow you. First, they're they're shocked at what Jesus says to this guy. But then as Peter begins to reflect and think on it, all right, hold on. You've asked this guy to leave his stuff and come follow you? Oh, I used to be a fisherman. So did you, Andrew, James, John. We had boats. We had productive fishing enterprise. Matthew, tax collector. You used to scam us all the time. You had lots of stuff. You left it and walked away. Hey, Jesus, look. Look at what we've done. Are you not proud of us? Are you not pleased with what we, 
we have done for you and your kingdom. That guy might not have been able to do it, Jesus, but we have. Are you noticing it? Are you seeing it? Are you delighting in it? Uh, a couple nights ago, we made strawberry pizzas for dessert. It's just pizza dough with strawberries and sugar and cinnamon on top. The kids were super excited about making it since they saw it in this highlights magazine. So we did. Uh, and uh, when when I brush Greta's teeth, we we do this this weird thing. It's the only way I can figure out how to get her to to brush her teeth. We pretend that there's things in her mouth and we're hunting for them. Sometimes it's people. A lot of you have been in Greta's mouth and we go on hide and seek hunts for, for you and to, to get you out of the back of her, her mouth and um, so uh, feel honored or disgusted, one or, one or the other. But this night I, I said, ooh, I see strawberry pizza in your mouth. Can I go get it? She's like, yeah. So I go in there and I start brushing for strawberry pizza and she pulls a toothbrush out of her mouth. She goes, can I have some? And I said, sure. And I didn't take chewed up pizza. We just pretend. And I said, yeah, here it is. And so she takes it and she goes, mmm. She goes, you get some. So I go back in there and brush again. And I say, ooh, this pizza is so good. Thank you. Now, what would it have been like if Adelaide and Beckett had walked in and said, why are you happy with her pizza? It's not even real pizza. Don't you realize, Daddy? We helped you make the real thing. Wasn't our pizza so much better than hers? Why? Why are you happy with her pizza the same way you were happy with ours? You see, but if... If my older kids, they did not ask that, by the way. But if my older kids are confident in the love that their father has for them, if they're assured that my love for them is based on who I am, extending my love and my favor to them apart from what they've done, if they're assured and secure in that, then they're freed up from having to brag about whose pizza is better and if I'm more pleased with this person or that one, as they are assured and are resting in their Father's love for them, it frees them up to be able to just enjoy producing pizza for me and for whoever, regardless of whether it's imaginary or not. You see... God's kingdom values and when His grace enters into our world, it changes the way things operate. It changes our motivations. It changes rewards. It changes expectations. Notice, remember, at, at the time, they are operating on, the, on the, the, the thinking, God's favored this person, so they're going to get stuff. They're going to be rich. Jesus goes in and says, look, I, I value your work. Notice what he, he says. It is important, the things that you're doing. And he, truly, I say to you in verse 29, there's no one who's left these things who, uh, who's not going to receive a hundredfold now and in this time. That's going to actually come through their being brought into the community of the people of God. And now as their family expands of those who are loving worshipers of their Heavenly Father, they're going to experience hospitality and love and nurture. But Jesus goes on and he says, 
in verse 31. But the many who are first will be last. And the last, first. Jesus says, don't, don't think that my kingdom will operate the way this world operates. That those who, who are the favored ones are the ones who bring the best things. Who do the most for me. It doesn't work like that. The last will be first, the first last. My grace changes the dynamics of the way that you live in this world and how you operate with me. I delight in you and I love you because of what I've done. It's my grace extended to you. It's not through your actions your, uh, uh, your, that you're meriting anything before me. God is not obligated to show you favor because of the stuff that you've done, but He freely gives you His favor and His love and His mercy because of His grace and His mercy that He's shown us in Jesus. So as we think about living out our lives as as believers, as we think about living out uh, holiness and righteousness for God, it really should change the way that we do it. If we're assured of the grace and mercy and favor that we have in Jesus... We're freed up. We don't have to be worrying about, Jesus, look at what I've done for you. Are you pleased? Are you satisfied? Will you listen to my prayer now? Will you work in my life? Why are you happy with their meager offerings to you? Look at me. No. Jesus entering into this world confirms to us that God loves us desperately. Jesus' death for us shows us that it's based on not what we've done, but what He's done. It's impossible for us to enter. It's only what Jesus has done that brings us into the kingdom. We come to Jesus more in the place of Greta. Do you want some? She's not made it. It's, it's not even, there's nothing there to eat. But I delight in what she offers me and does because I love her as her father. Do you know that the grace of our God is the, what ties everything together and permeates everything about our life? And that as God's people, not only do we enter life, enter life with God by grace through faith, but we live out the Christian life in a loving, thankful response to the grace that we have from our Heavenly Father, assured of His love for us because of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what He's done. That's why as a church... Everything that we do, everything that we do, we want to have this foundation of grace that's motivating and empowering our all free offer of the gospel to the lost, our pursuing those who are straying in the Christian life, and of our living out holiness and righteousness among one another and before the watching world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank You for the grace that has been extended to us in Jesus. We thank You that what was impossible for us was possible through what He has done. Uh, We pray that You would, even now, as You've applied Your Word to our hearts, that You would apply the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to our hearts as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus was on His way.